Well, church, as we continue to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and our Lord, I want to direct your attention to a passage of Scripture found in the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 62. We hear much about the crucifixion, much about the resurrection, but we don't talk often enough about the period in between. This is a period in between passage. And it starts in verse 62, where the writer says, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Verse 65 says, take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Will you bow with me in prayer? Jesus, we have come before you today to celebrate your resurrection and to petition your power. We know that you are real. We believe that you are alive. Show us today. Amen. Well, on the fourth day of the fourth month at 405 Mulberry Street in 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee, a man was killed. Now, as we know, people die every day, but this was no common killing. For this death shook the very soul of this nation. The armchair historians are already familiar with what I'm talking about. It is interesting and ironic that we are celebrating Easter Sunday on April 4th of this year. For on April 4th, 1968, a man by the name of James Earl Ray shot Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the face with a single bullet fired from a Remington Model 760 rifle. Perhaps the bullet looks something like this. When this single bullet hit Dr. King in the face, according to the coroner's report, the bullet broke his jaw and several vertebrae instantly. It severed his jugular vein and several arteries. And after being rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital, the doctors apparently did all that they could to revive him. He never regained consciousness and passed about an hour after he was shot. Dr. King was killed. The more ominous reality is that on April 3rd, the night before he was killed, King returned to Memphis to attempt a successful march with the Memphis Sanitation Workers Union. He was planning to give a speech at the Mason Temple, which is the world headquarters of the Church of God in Christ denomination. At the Mason Temple, King delivered his now famous last speech, I've been to the mountaintop. And King says something interesting, I'll read for your hearing. King, at the end of his speech, rises in tenor and timber and then declares something bold, something likely off script. King says, and I quote, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. 
So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. These now iconic words were a bold statement at the time. Before he had arrived in Memphis, King's flight had been delayed by a bomb threat. He was known to receive calls and, and letters and violent attacks in his work for justice. But this bold statement was a challenge to the mechanism, the machinery, and the messengers of death. King was trying to signal to them that regardless of what they had planned for him, he already knew who he was and where he was going. With this bullet, death came. Death arrived. It was intended to be final, and it was. Now, as great as Dr. King was, he was just and only a man. 2,000 years ago, there was another man, but he was more than a man. He made a similar challenge, but with higher stakes. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answers and tells his disciples this very key statement. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now with this bold statement, Jesus challenged the mechanism, the machinery, and the messengers of death. Now he was trying to signal to them and signal to us that regardless of what they had planned for him, he already knew who he was and where he was going. But death came for him as well. It was intended to be final. It wasn't a bullet, it was a nail. And after being betrayed by one of his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was captured by Roman forces. He was tried in a kangaroo court. He was issued a petition in front of the Sanhedrin, told that he should be recommended for death by crucifixion for the crime of insurrection. He stood before Pontius Pilate, and even though Pilate could not find any fault in him, Jesus was still sentenced to die. He carried his own cross after being whipped and beaten, after a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. Lashes were whipped upon his back with a cat of nine tails. He carried his own cross up the hill called Calvary. And there, my Savior, your Lord, was crucified. Death came for Jesus. As we are celebrating the resurrection, I think it's important for us to reckon with the reality that death is real. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Pastor, it is Resurrection Sunday. I'm here to clap. Isn't, the, isn't it the time for dancing? Isn't it the time for celebration? Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive. It's a resurrection. And I understand what you're saying. Don't worry, we'll get there. But you need to hear this. It is important for us to reckon with the reality of death. Because before there is clapping, there is wrestling. Before there is celebration, there is agony and pain. Before there is dancing, there is disappointment. Before there is a resurrection, there is a crucifixion. And I'm here to tell you, church, that we must not have an underdeveloped spirituality that passes through death and pain quickly to get to the resolution. Can I challenge you? You better name your pain. Jesus didn't just die anyway. The crucifixion was a description. Jesus' death had a name. And for many of us, we exist in a time 
where many Christians and believers are afraid to name the thing that plagues them. And that is why we remain bound. That is why we remain divided. That is why we remain in pain and agony without healing because we are unwilling to name the thing that plagues us. It's a crucifixion. Jesus really died. Can I encourage you today, church, to name your pain, to name your agony, to name the uncertainty that you feel, to name the pain that plagues you, to name the obstacles that you face, to name the agony that you feel, to name all the things that would be a death to you. The crucifixion is a description. It was intended to be final. But there's a difference between King and Jesus. As great as Dr. King was, again, he was just a man. King was killed, but Jesus died. There's a difference, right? Jesus willingly gave his life up for us. The powerful thing is that Jesus endured death so that we could have confidence and we could have assurance of what will happen when we are in him and endure our own daily deaths. This is the promise and the blessing of the resurrection. This is the power of what Jesus has done. This is the beauty of this celebration. And death is real and we must sit in it and reckon with it and deal with it and fight with it. But here's the thing you should know. Death is real, but there's some things death can't kill. <laughs> there's some things that death can't do. And as much as death was intended to be final for Jesus, as much as the Roman Empire thought that they were putting to death this insurrectionist, as much as the religious leaders thought that they were getting rid of a nuisance, as much as they imagined that it was ending all of their problems, there are some things death can't kill. There are some things that death can't silence. There are some things that death cannot eliminate. And Jesus' statement, his bold statement, he is the way, the truth, and the life, tells us a little something about what death can't kill. So Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, and death puts Jesus' claims to the test. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62, it's an interesting passage where the religious leaders and the chief priests and the Pharisees are panicking post the crucifixion of Jesus. Deep down, they knew that Jesus's claims were true, but they had to tell themselves something and they had to prepare themselves with an out not to believe just in case they really did come true. The Pharisees come to Pilate and they tell him, sir, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver, the imposter, said that after three days, I will rise again. So notice what they say. They say, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. More on that in a second. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Here's something you need to know. The first thing you need to understand about death. Death can't bury the truth. Death can't bury the truth. Notice here that what is being done by the chief priests and the scribes is a cultural reaction to what they perceive as zealotry or insurrection. 
during this time, there would be certain uh, famous prophets or famous leaders or rebellion leaders who would rise up and after they rose up, they would be killed and then their followers would spread a narrative about them that they were still alive. It would advance some superhuman idea of those zealots to further the insurrection against the Roman Empire and to undermine their authority. Here, the chief priests and the scribes are trying to preempt that narrative with their own narrative. See, here's something about the truth. The truth is a belief system. The truth is a comprehensive web of things that we believe that are true and right about God, ourselves, and the world around us. And it is easy for us to say that we believe the truth, but here's the thing. Death will try to sell you another narrative. Death will try to tell you that the truth needs to be questioned to the point of not being believed at all. Death will try to undermine and lie to you about what reality is. And this is the true nature of sin. Sin enters into the world and sin, we think of it as acts. But the truth of the matter is sin starts with thoughts and beliefs. Sin starts with a contra-narrative. Sin enters to contradict the construction of what God has created. Sin likes to tell us that something is right even though it is wrong. Sin likes to tell us that power and privilege and prosperity are our posterity. Sin likes to tell us that we should look down upon those who we deem to be inferior. Sin likes to tell us that life is all about pleasure. Sin likes to tell us the counter narrative that God does not care about us. Sin likes to tell us that we should use other people for our own transactional benefits. Sin likes to tell us that we should silence those who cry out in prophetic witness against even those who claim the name of Jesus. Sin likes to tell us another narrative. And here's what the chief priests and the scribes thought that they could do. The chief priests and the scribes thought that they could keep the truth buried. This is metaphorical and literal. Jesus claims again to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the culmination of all things that are true. Jesus is the culmination of all that is right with the world. Everything that is true about God and ourselves and the world, we can look at Jesus and find it. Jesus embodies what the Father desires. He is, Colossians tells us, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the culmination of everything. He holds everything together. And Jesus was buried and they thought they could keep the truth buried. It, here's something interesting. In Matthew chapter 28, a chapter later, some of the chief priests grabbed a guard post-resurrection, and here's what they said. When they had assembled, verse 12, the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people a different narrative. Tell them that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they went and they told a different narrative about what happened. They told a different narrative. They bought into the lie that the messengers of death had paid them to tell. Here's something that's interesting though, church. 
the people who were telling the chief priests and the scribes, the chief priests and the scribes themselves as they were walking up to Pilate, something interesting they didn't realize is that they didn't even know what they were saying. They were saying that the disciples are so passionate about Jesus that they won't allow the truth to stay buried. <laughs> you missed it, church. The chief priests and the scribes knew how committed these disciples were to Jesus. And even though they couldn't be found in the midst of the crucifixion, even though they couldn't be found at the foot of the cross, they knew that they had such a commitment to Jesus that they wouldn't allow Jesus to stay buried in a place and hidden from view. Isn't it interesting that sometimes those of us who claim to name the name of Jesus, who claim to follow after Jesus, are content with keeping the truth buried. Watch out now. Isn't it interesting that people who claim to have been Christians for decades are silent about the power that lies within them? Isn't it interesting that the people who claim to stand boldly for Jesus, who claim to worship a risen Savior, keep their mouths shut when they should be speaking, they hide when they should be standing, they, they cower in fear when they should stand in faith? Isn't it interesting, church that the chief priests and the scribes had maybe more faith in the disciples than we would have in ourselves. They won't allow the truth to stay buried. Let me ask you something, church. Are you the type of person who allows the truth to stay buried? Are you the type of person who would buy into the contra-narrative and go and spread something that's not true or remain silent and cower in fear? Or are you the type of person who will stand up and say that this truth that lies within me, this God who has saved me, this redeemer who has captured me, I won't allow myself to stay quiet. It's like fire shut up in my bones. I can't keep myself still. I cannot act as though it does not change everything about myself and about my people and about the world around me. Are you the type of disciple who won't let the truth stay buried? Death can't bury the truth, church. As the passage continues in verse 65, Pilate tells the chief priests and the scribes, he takes their words very seriously. He says, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now remember in verse 64, they had recommended that the tomb be made secure until that proposed third day, that fateful day when Jesus was going to rise again. And so there was this idea that if they put guards in front of the tomb, there's this idea that if they sealed the tomb with a large stone, there's this idea that if they reinforce the things that had kept Jesus boxed in, that in some way, shape, or form, they would be able to keep him silent. Remember I said death can't bury the truth. There's something else you need to know about death. Death can't block the way. Death can't block the way. Now this is a bold statement, especially considering how big the tomb actually was. As you see how big this tomb was, it was not just a commoner's tomb because Jesus was being laid in a borrowed tomb by Joseph of Arimathea and the stone that was in front of the tomb to seal it was estimated to be somewhere in the vicinity of three to 4,000 pounds. 
a significant obstacle. And then they put some of their trained Roman centurions in front of that obstruction to continue to block the way, another obstacle that would block the way from getting out. And all these obstacles were being placed in the path in order to prevent the disciples from seeing the way, in order to prevent the way from getting out, to block the way with obstacles. Let's see how they do with a stone. Let's see how they do with multiple guards. Let's see how they do with a counter narrative. Let's see how they do with all the people in power against them. Let's see how they do. And isn't it interesting that sometimes, church, we feel as though there are obstacles that are constantly placed in our path, so much so that we can't get to the way. We can't get to Jesus. I would like to be able to get to Jesus, but the problem is there are so many obstacles in my way. There is so much around me that is trying to prevent me from seeing the goodness of God. There is so much around me that is distracting me. There is so much around me that is pulling me down. There is so much around me that is afflicting my body. There is so much around me that is replaying in my mind. There is so much around me that is ravaging my soul. And many of us believe that the obstacles are so great that there's no way we can get around them. Is that you today? Are you facing some obstacles that you don't know the way around? Are you facing some things that are blocking the pathway to the way? Are you facing some difficulties and challenges that you have kept to yourself that nobody else knows, that you don't think you can overcome, that you don't think there's any way out of? Are you bound in a situation? Are you facing terror? Are you facing depression? Are you facing something that you cannot get out of? The stone was blocking the tomb. The guards were guarding the stone. The chief priests and the scribes and the Roman rulers were spreading the narrative and it seems as though Jesus was trapped. It seems as though the, the, the disciples were prevented from getting to the way. Here's the thing that I love about this passage in Matthew chapter 28, just the next chapter. We see that even though they had tried their best to block the way, to place obstacles in the way, it's so fascinating that their best laid plans were so easily foiled. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. It says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that part. It says that the angel just sat on the stone. The angel was probably thinking, oh, that's pretty cute that y'all decided to block it with some guards and with a stone. But here's the thing, that's no problem for me. I know it's a lot for you, but it's no problem for me because of the power that has been given to me. Hold up, listen, there's something interesting about this passage that you need to know about your life. When there are obstacles that are blocking your way, when there are obstacles that are blocking your sight to be able to get to Jesus, when there are obstacles that are standing in your path, when there are obstacles that are pressing you in on every side, remember this reality. It's the truth of the resurrection. It's the truth of Jesus coming down to earth. Catch this. God has already worked out what you're worried about. 
God has already worked out the thing that you're concerned about. God already prepared a contingency plan for the difficulties you will face. God already knew that you were going to be in the trouble that you're in right now. And here's the thing. There is a way of escape. There is something for you to learn in the midst of this. There's a way for you to grow in the midst of this. And here's what I need you to know that even though it looks like the obstacles are so great, even though it looks like there is nothing for you to do to be able to get around the thing that is obstructing your path. Hear me, God has already created a way. God has already worked out the thing that you're worried about. God has already set up a path, a contingency plan for you to get to the place where he's called you to be. And I need someone to put one hand up in the air if you believe it, because I think there's most of us who in one area or more of our lives are struggling with obstructions that are blocking the way. But how many of you know God is going to make a way? I serve the way-making God. I serve the God who cannot be blocked, the God who can cannot be obstructed, the God who cannot be silenced, the God who cannot be kept in a tomb, the God who no matter how big the stone is will remove it and sit on it just to show you that it's no sweat to him. That's the God we serve. That's the God who's going to make a way. That's the God who doesn't allow for us to encounter obstructions that will keep us stationary, but he's made a way. He moved the stone and he worked out the thing that they were worried about. So death can't bury the truth. Death can't block the way. And finally, death can't kill the life. Notice in Matthew chapter 27 at the end that Pilate is doing everything in his power to obstruct Jesus from being seen by people. Pilate is doing everything in his power to assuage the consciences and the concerns of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. But in Matthew chapter 28, after the angel removes the stone and sits on it, notice that he looks at the women and says, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Again, death is named. I know you're looking for the crucified king, but, but here's the truth. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. As proof positive for them and for us that death can't kill life. Death cannot kill the life. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, how is this possible? How is it possible for us to say that death can't kill life when Jesus died. Jesus did indeed die, but remember Jesus was not killed. And there's an interesting pre-passage where Jesus is speaking to this dichotomy that we have created between death and life and he is confounding it. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, John 11, 25. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Even though they die, they still live. Even though they perish, they still prosper. It is a paradox that summarizes the Christian faith. And if you miss this, you'll get really frustrated with the rest of your Christian walk. Just because it looks like you have lost doesn't mean you've actually lost. Just because it looks like 
you have failed doesn't mean you haven't won. Just because it looks like you are suffering now doesn't mean you haven't overcome. Just because it looks like right now that you have been killed doesn't mean you're not also living. It's interesting because there are people on the African continent. There are people who have long preceded us before we were taken from that continent and brought over here against our will in the transatlantic slave trade. It's said about the people on that continent that many of them believe that death and life are not dichotomies. Many believe that the opposite of life is not death. Why? Because death is just another part of life. And isn't it interesting that many of us have created a binary where once we die, we are no longer living when the truth of the matter is those who believe in Jesus, even though they die, they still live. Even though you attempt to kill them, you can't truly harm them. Even though you attempt to silence them forever, they will still speak from the grave. Why? Because they still live in Jesus. Because you you cannot kill what God says should live. You cannot kill what God says should have life. You cannot kill the things that God has placed his hand on. And Jesus was trying to tell them that death can't kill the life. Remember that the next time you feel as though you have experienced something that you cannot rebound from. Remember that the next time you feel as though you have experienced something that you cannot recover from. Remember that when you feel as though you're done, you're lost, everything is over. You have to get like Paul is. I, I love the way Paul is in 1 Corinthians 15. It's interesting when Jesus is on your side, you can speak to the things you're terrified about. <laughs> Notice he says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 54, death has been swallowed up in victory and then he gets the confidence, the boldness to talk to death. Paul says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O grave, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you are a Christian today, if you believe in Jesus, if you are following Christ, I want you to have confidence. I want you to have boldness. I want you to lift your head up. I want you to roll your shoulders back because no matter what you may be facing right now in this present moment, you have the victory. No matter what it seems like life is going to throw at you. You still have the victory. You are still victorious in Jesus Christ. And how do we know that we are victorious in Jesus Christ? Because death can't kill the life. Death could not keep Jesus bound. Death could not keep Jesus buried. Death can't kill life. And how do I know? Because Herod tried to kill him and it didn't work. How do I know that death can't kill life? Because they tried to invalidate his hometown and it didn't work. How do I know that death can't kill life? Because Satan tried to tempt him and it didn't work. How do I know that death can't kill life? Because the Pharisees tried to discredit him and it didn't work. How do I know that death can't kill life? Because the Roman Empire tried to eliminate him and it didn't work. 
How do I know that death can't kill life because the grave had a grip on Jesus and it didn't work? How do I know that death can't kill life because death had Jesus literally dead to rights and just when they thought they had buried the truth, just when they thought they had blocked away, just when they thought they had killed the life, they didn't realize something, remember this, they failed to realize that death can't kill what God says should live. On the third day he arose, he got up. And when he got up, he reminded us of this crucial truth that death does not have the ultimate say. Death and suffering do not have the final word. Those who are the messengers of death, those who operate in the machinery and mechanisms of death do not have the final say. There is another one who will answer, death can't kill life. Whatever God says should live will live even if it dies. Death can't kill everything. There are some things that death can't kill. Death can't keep the truth buried. It can't keep the way blocked. And it can't kill the life. Jesus came and died in order to free us from the power of death. He accomplished the impossible task of any man, no man or woman, no person could ever stand in the place of all of humanity, but Jesus stood against death and sin and hell and the grave, and Jesus conquered them all. He truly won the victory. He truly overcame. And so my invitation to you today is very simple. If it's true that death can't kill the life, then I charge you, I challenge you, I call out the Jesus in you, and I say, live, live, walk in the life. Do not be afraid of death, because there are some things that death can't kill. Hey church, I hope that you have enjoyed our Easter celebration service where we have lifted up Jesus. Before we close out this service, I want to encourage you with this reality and this truth that Jesus 2000 years ago when he came in the flesh was on a rescue mission for all of humanity. He died for the sins of the world. He died to save the world. And that includes you, that includes me, that includes all of us. And so I hope today that you have made the choice to honor and commemorate that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Why Jesus truly came? By making a decision to follow after Jesus. I know what it seems. I know it seems like this is a very daunting proposition. And I get that. Trust me. I understand. And I'm not causing you to do some massive step that you might think is far beyond your capability. I'm not calling you to act like we act. I'm not calling you to do all the things that we do. You know, we have this idea that being a follower of Jesus means you act a certain way or you do certain things that are not found in the Bible that Jesus did not ask for us to do. But there are some things that we have imported onto our faith in Jesus that Jesus never intended. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to experience life. I'm welcoming you into new life. That's it. I want you to surrender what you have been doing your way 
and to follow after and embrace the life that Jesus offers, the life that death can't kill. It is a powerful invitation, a powerful opportunity, and I know it doesn't seem like it right now, but it will change everything about you. The Bible tells us that all one has to do to walk in the life that Jesus offers is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Not very complicated at all. It's just saying out loud and professing allegiance to Jesus, acknowledging Jesus's identity as Savior and Lord, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's confessing also the fact that your way will no longer be the ultimate way, that you will follow Jesus as the center of all of your life because you recognize that death can't kill anything that Jesus has his hand on. So if that's you, I just want you to do me a favor and lift up your hands. You can keep your eyes open. I know there's this thing about keeping your eyes closed. You can keep your eyes open, it's okay. But I want you to lift up your hands and in your own way, I want you to say, Jesus, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I believe, I will follow after you. I won't think of my way as the center, as the preeminent way of living, but I'll follow after you. And I will truly believe that you are above all things. You are the life that death can't kill. And if that's you and you made that declaration for the first time, I want you to put home in the comments. Put home in the comments because that's what you're doing. You are coming home to a God who loves you more than you can possibly imagine. A God who cares for you more than your wildest dreams, more than any other person ever has. And a God who has prepared a way for you, has set up life for you that you may live it even more abundantly. And we wanna be able to walk with you through that journey. We wanna be able to encourage you. So type home in the comments and we'll reach out to you, have a conversation and hopefully be able to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Now, I wanna remind you of a couple of announcements before we close out. Next Sunday, we will be having our 29th church anniversary. We're so excited about that. It's not something that we have commonly done, but it is a wonderful opportunity for us to lift up the name of Jesus and thank Jesus for all that he has done in our church, which has been historic and amazing and sometimes we forget about it because it's, it's been something that we've been a part of or, or we take it for granted, but we should never take for granted all the blessings that God has given to us. So join us next week, 10 a.m., 12 p.m. for that. We will have midweek Bible study on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock p.m. If you are wanting to hang out with us, I encourage you to sign up. Click the Hangout button down in the comments and sign up for a Zoom hangout with Pastor Marlena and I on Tuesday. We're so excited to be able to get to know you better and to encourage you as you take next steps, perhaps, in joining up with our church and continuing your walk with Jesus. I also wanna encourage you that we are gonna be restarting our Remix Youth Ministry and other ministries as well. So stay on the lookout, stay tuned for that. I'm so excited about what's to come in our Remix Youth Ministry and our Marriage Ministry, Women's Ministry, Men's Ministry, all of the above. We're restarting those things, even in the midst of a pandemic, because it's so important for you to remain encouraged. 
And I hope that church, this has marked you and this is a seminal moment as you move forward and that this is a moment where you can say, God, I truly made a decision to follow you as the life. I love you so much. Hope to see you next week. This has been our Easter celebration service. Jesus is risen, so live like it. Peace, church. It's all for you, really ain't nothing new We ain't been loving you, it's hard to choose Really hard not to lose, you ain't throwing out the dose It's all for you It's all for you It's all for you, really ain't nothing new We ain't been loving you, it's hard to choose Really hard not to lose, you ain't throwing out the dose It's all for you it's all for you. Yeah.